Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. If you've been around for any amount of time so far, uh, you know that we have been in the book of Luke together. And it's just been this beautiful journey of just really asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be disciples of Jesus? We talk about this language, we use this language, but what does it really mean? And I've just loved going on this journey with you, just this ability to not just know information about Jesus, but to look at his life and the way he led and the way he loved, the way his disciples followed him, and just learn more about who he was and what that tells us about the way of Jesus. And so today we are going to be in one of my favorite, uh, my favorite passages of all of scripture that has just um, come back and forth in my life and in different ways, but we're going to be in Luke 8. Uh, chapter, we're going to start in chapter 40 in just a minute, but we are talking about what it means to follow Jesus in a season and a period of waiting, of waiting. And we are not good at waiting, everybody. I mean, maybe some of you are, but I am not good at waiting. Um, I just, I resist waiting. I think we, it's human for us to resist waiting for, to resist sort of like the lack of control, the not having things in order or the giving away of our agenda, our agenda, whether it's from, waiting to board a flight, to getting test results back, to trying to pick the most strategic grocery line at Aldi. Like, it's, it's the waiting, right? I'm not, no matter what I pick, it just never works out the way I thought it was going to work. So I just quit trying. It just is what it is. But it's that idea of, of, of waiting, of, of what does it look like to follow Jesus in that place? And we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. So why don't you jump in with me? Uh, Luke 8, verse 40. I'm going to start. We're going to kind of split this story in half. So we're going to read through 48. So it says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her bleeding ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and and." People are pressing in on you. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Jesus, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We're going to stop at that section of the story and pick it up, pick it up in a minute. But I think, so let's just kind of first unpack what, what's happening here. So we have two sort of like characters in this story. And the first is Jairus, who's this wealthy, um, religious, kind of upstanding man in the community. And he's a, he's a religious man. He's a leader in the synagogue. And so he goes to Jesus because his daughter is in like a crisis, in an urgent condition. She is at his home in real time, and she's dying, and she's his only daughter. And so for a religious man like Jairus to go to Jesus after all the criticism that, re- that Jesus has received from religious leaders is a big deal. It means like this, this is a crisis. Like this is the biggest thing that's happened. It's probably the biggest thing that's happened in their life. And he is desperate to help his daughter. So he goes to Jesus. He makes his way through the crowd. There's, there's tons of people at this point who are following Jesus. News of healings and teachings are spreading. So people show up to see what's going to happen. 
And there's this whole crowd around Jesus, and Jairus makes his way to Jesus and just begs him, please, please come help my daughter. This is, this is the last resort. Please come help her. And so Jesus agrees, and they start heading that way. And I would imagine that at this point, people are expectant of what Jesus is going to do. So it's like, oh, like something's going to happen, right? So there's a crowd of people then who are moving with Jesus and Jairus as they're traveling to his home. There's this crowd of people following them. And, and, but it's like time is of the essence. Like it's an emergency situation. So this crowd of people is following. And in the middle of kind of getting to Jairus's house, something else happened. And there's this woman that really nobody else notices, but we, we know about her in scripture. And she comes up and she touches the, the garment that Jesus is wearing. And she is healed from this condition that she had been experiencing and waiting for and dealing with for 12 years. And in that moment, she is healed. And Jesus stops and he tends to this woman and he tends to her situation and he meets her in this moment right in the middle of this big crisis that Jairus is experiencing. I mean, it would be as if you are on the ambulance headed to like an emergency life or death situation and you just like pull over for something that you could have attended to after you attended to the big thing, the crisis. Like it didn't make any sense. And right from the very beginning, I think Jesus is telling us something about his idea of timing and the idea of timing and waiting. And if you're human, it doesn't matter what part of culture or experience you're from, everybody has their own idea of timing. Everybody has their own context or of priorities, of order, of how things should go, of what timeline looks like, what time frames look like. And Jesus is dealing with this idea of timing. He's sort of ordering and reordering how things should go. Because it doesn't make any sense to stop um, the treatment of like an urgent condition for a chronic one. Like that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't go together. That's not the right timing, Jesus. What are you doing? Don't you understand what's at stake? But we see Jairus waiting. We see the woman waiting. And in the middle of this waiting, Jesus is ordering and reordering this idea of timing. You see, Jairus was this religious man. He was this leader in the synagogue, which means he would have been in charge of some of the order of the synagogue. There was a way you do things, a way things should go. There were rhythms and rituals. There were laws that you follow. It was very detailed, and it would have been part of his job to, like, make sure everything is in order. Are there people in the house like that today? You like to know, this is how it's going to go. This is what I can expect. This is how it's going to be. When I do A, B, I get C. When I wake up, I, th- this is how it goes. This is how I can predict it. This is how I know it's safe. This is how I know it's controlled. This is how I know it's comfortable. This is the way things should be. That's gyrus. So can you imagine that in this moment, as a father, And as this religious leader, how out of the box this is of what Jesus is doing. Like, just imagine yourself as a parent and to know that you would do anything you could do to not just give relief to your child, but to save them. And he has gone to the greatest lengths he can think of to do that. And and in his context, Jesus is just going to, like, stop and, what, just, like, talk to this woman when you didn't even have to? Like, what are you doing? What's happening? This doesn't make any sense. The events are out of place, and the circumstances are confusing, and Jairus is in a crisis. 
And I wonder if you've ever felt that way, that you are in the biggest thing that's ever happened to you. You are in the most, just the hardest thing that's ever happened. And the world is just going on like usual around you. It's just going on like usual. Or you have been waiting on something. You have been just in this, maybe maybe it's today. Maybe you're just in this place of waiting today. And the circumstances are just so out of order, you don't even understand what's up from down anymore. It doesn't make any sense. It's gotten so confusing. It's gotten so chaotic. It's gotten so out of order. You just don't even know how to make sense of it. Jesus is saying, I am the new way. This is the new way. And Jesus' idea of timing comes with this ordering and reordering of our circumstances. Yes, there may be an emergency. It may not make sense for him to stop to tend to this chronic condition of this woman that could be tended to at any time while he's on the way to save a girl who is dying. But Jesus is saying, I am the new way. I am doing something new. And if you are going to follow me, there will be an ordering and reordering of your idea of timing, your idea of waiting, your idea of priorities, your idea of delay. I will order and reorder all of your business because I am Jesus and I am the new way. And I think sometimes we think, you know, following Jesus is just this thing that we walk, that we draw a circle around and we walk away. And we've got following Jesus over here, and then we've got our family and our job and our finances and our hobbies and our dreams. And Jesus is over here on Sundays or when we open that spiritual box, but, but he's over here. And this is the stuff that we deal with. And when Jesus gets into the business of reordering things like circumstances and priorities and timing, I think what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, I've got to reorder the whole thing. You've got to reorder how you stack up your whole entire life, and it has to be stacked up on me. So I'm going to mess with some things that you keep close, and I'm going to change up some stuff that you don't want to see um, how that could look, and I'm going to get into places that feel uncomfortable because I am not just this box on the side that you draw a circle around and walk away. I am the center. I am the hub that everything from your life flows from. And I'm going to get in there and mess with your stuff so you know, so you know what anchors you and you know what your foundation is. And I, I just have to imagine for Jairus, he was just like, what is going on? And as a dad, I mean, just physically, like holding himself back from being like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, you can't stop. Don't let him do that. And there's this urgency. And I believe that Jesus is getting right to the heart. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to order and reorder your circumstances. I'm going to reorder and order the way you set up your expectations. I'm going to order and reorder what you're waiting for or how you think it's going to come or how you think you're going to get there. And are you ready for me to do that? Are you willing for me? Are you willing to let me order and reorder your sense of timing and your circumstances? Are you willing to let me in? And then, and then there's the woman, Right? And then we have the story of this woman, this woman who is not even named. She's been struggling with this issue of bleeding for 12 years, and there are not just physical consequences for her, but consequences under the Jewish law and consequences for her in society. And so for this woman, her reality really is um, just isolation and, and being marginalized, Because of her specific condition under Jewish law, she would have been deemed as unclean, no matter where she went or who she was with. 
So that meant that she wasn't able to attend like the, um, the worship at the synagogue with the other women in a time where sense of community and those communal um, rituals and rhythms together were of high, high value in society. She was alone. She wasn't able to go with them. She wasn't able to be in relationship with people or to be married. Every time she had to go out into public, she had to announce that she was unclean. 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 I'm unclean. Every time she went any, anywhere, no matter who she was around. And when she, if she did have any physical contact with another person, her uncleanliness and her shame and her dirtiness under the Jewish law made them unclean. And then there were consequences for them. And for a certain amount of time, there were certain things they couldn't do, certain community things they couldn't be a part of, certain, um, just certain rituals they couldn't engage in. And so the reality for this woman is that for 12 years, her identity is not even her name. It's the woman unclean. And she can't get out of it. And she's tried. And it looks like she spent all of her money and her resources on these doctors, and it's not working. And she is just desperate to get to Jesus so that maybe, maybe he could heal her. Maybe he could change her condition. She risked everything by going into the crowd that day. And by his interaction with the woman, Jesus shows us a little bit more about his authority in waiting. He shows us his authority. Because when this woman went to touch the robe of Jesus, she would have made him unclean. Like, there would have been consequences for Jesus in, in society. And when she touched his robe, he stopped. And he didn't just leave it there and let her kind of slip off into the, into the crowd. He stopped. He identified what happened. He had her identify herself. You see, any other, any other time this woman would have been out in a crowd and she would have touched someone, there would have been great consequences. But when she touches Jesus, he makes her clean. It gets turned around. The, like it, the, the, law, um, the law and the societal standards just get, get totally switched. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is a really big deal because he is, he is on the way to heal, um, to heal this girl who is the daughter of like a high society, very prominent, very respected man. And if Jesus does this, what could that mean for his ministry even? It just, it would give more validity to his reputation, to what he's doing. But Jesus stops and he takes time for the woman that nobody names, nobody sees, nobody cares about, who's just in the background. And Jesus values her. He sees her. And he is saying in this moment, he stops to help this man. Not does, it just doesn't like not make logical sense. It doesn't make sense in the hierarchy of their society. It doesn't make sense in the systems and the structures that they operate in. This makes no sense. But Jesus is saying, I have authority. I will stop for this woman. And when she touches me, she will be clean. She will be clean. The specific part of the garment that this woman touched were the tassels on the robe of Jesus. And these, these like, it's like fringe. Like the tassels kind of represented these different elements of Jewish law. And the tassels reminded people who wore the robes of what the law was, how to follow it. It was like this reminder throughout the day to connect them back to the law. And this woman, she went for it, man. She went for Jesus and she touched those fringes on his robe. She touched the law, the very thing that bound her, the very thing that defined her and deemed her as unclean. She went right for those fringes on his robe. 
You see, she would have been brought up under the religious teaching of the prophecy in Malachi that there would be um, a healer coming with righteousness on his wings. And she would have been waiting for that prophecy. And she had this hope in her heart that if she just got to Jesus, that he would fulfill the law that the law would no longer have a hold on her. It would no longer define her. It would no longer name her. It would no longer be her identity. And when she reached for those, the fringe of Jesus' garment and she was healed, Jesus was saying, I came to fulfill the law. I have authority over the law. These societal standards, these law standards, they do not have any reign when I am in the room. I am Jesus. And I came to fulfill the law, not just today, but for eternity. And that was a message of hope and salvation and freedom and healing. But we have to realize when we believe those things about Jesus, that he has authority over society and over the law, that's going to mean an ordering and a reordering. You see, Jesus is ordering and reordering everything about, everything about priorities and power. And if we're following Jesus, are we going to be okay with Jesus coming in, the way of Jesus coming in and ordering and reordering our systems and our structures that have been built to oppress and marginalize people? Are we going to be okay with him ordering and reordering our priorities that, that maybe give priority and power to those in power? To those in power? Are we going to be okay with an ordering and reordering that Jesus is doing in, in our religion and in our law where we've said, this is clean, this is untouchable, this is right, and this is wrong, and Jesus comes in and he orders and he reorders all the things that we thought. Are we going to be okay with him coming in and ordering and reordering our ideas of what gets us salvation, of the checking the boxes and the doing the right things and the moving from this and that, and, and this is what it takes in following this rule and having this good moral behavior and being this clean person, this is how I get salvation. Are we okay with the Lord ordering and reordering those things in our lives so that we can experience more of the new way of Jesus? Are you with me this morning, Forest City? Are we, are we going to be okay with the ordering and reordering? Because it's not just about our own individual lives. It's an entire system. It's an entire structure. And Jesus came to redeem and to restore and to bring a new way. And that is the Jesus that we follow. And if we're going to talk about being disciples of Jesus, we got to talk about the whole story. We got to be willing to get comfortable and uncomfortable with some of the things that we got comfortable with or that we benefited from or that just that's just how it is these days. We got to be open for the Lord to order and reorder some of those things as he did and is doing and will continue to do until he comes to fully bring his new kingdom on earth. The ordering and reordering of the waiting. And now you may be thinking, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> this is crazy. This sounds really uncomfortable. This is really stretching for me to think about. Like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> Why? Why would I want Jesus to mess with my stuff? Why would I want Jesus to mess with the world stuff, power and priorities and circumstances and timing? Why would I do that? What's, what's in it for me? Why is that something I would ever choose? Well, I just go back to what happened for the woman. And when we go back to verse 46, it says, But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Jesus made her identify herself. 
He made her identify who she was and tell her story and the whole story. You see, Jesus didn't want to just mess with her and reorder and reorder um, systems and structures and circumstances just to do it. He didn't want to just free her from her physical need or heal her from her physical need. He wanted to heal her from herself. He wanted to free her from herself. He had something much greater for her than she was even going to him for. He saw more in her than she even expected to get. I think... I think I just want to talk to the women in the, the, women in the room today. Um, you know, Steve was preaching last week, and he just talked about this just profound idea of, of being able to, like the idea of managing expectations and of managing expectations, taking off the focus of Jesus and, and surrendering those things. And I just think as women, we are still, even in, in this day and time, we are just brought up in a way that we are praised and benefited for just the things we do for other people for the multitasking, for the keeping it all together, for the being able to operate in all these different systems and structures, work, home, family, whatever, and do all the things. And we're praised for being good and following the rules and being kind, which are good things, but it's not the only thing. And I think as women, we're just brought up to, to sometimes have to fight against this sort of um, structure or idea or just societal thing that we're just supposed to do it all and make it happen and take on everybody's stuff and somehow get out on the other side. And I just think, wouldn't it be the woman, out of all of these stories, wouldn't it be the woman who is content to just touch the robe of Jesus and slip out the back door? Wouldn't it be the woman who doesn't even need him to identify her? Like, I don't need to make a fuss. I don't, nobody needs to notice me. I'm just going to get what I need and I'm going to get out. And I'm going to get back home and I'm going to do my thing and nobody needs to know. Wouldn't it be the woman? Wouldn't it be the woman who just doesn't even see the, the whole value in herself? That she, I mean, Jairus is just like, Lord, I need you. Lord, you like, I, I need you. And, and the woman is like just content to be in the crowd and slip away. And it just wouldn't it be the woman, I kept thinking. And then I, I just saw some of myself in her. Just a difficulty to, to name my desires. A difficulty, a difficulty to identify what I always need or advocate for myself. Wouldn't it be the woman? But the beautiful thing is that Jesus saw more for her than she saw for herself. And, and, the, and the, the power of the story is not even just in the, the miracle moment. The power of her story is in the sharing her whole story. It's the identifying herself and it's the walking out of her freedom. And now I can talk to everybody in the room because this is for all of us. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to have a, a physical issue of, of bleeding. But we all are in need of freedom. We all are in need of formation. We all are in need of transformation, and that only comes in Jesus. And if we want to follow Jesus, he is coming to not just heal the thing that we're going to him for, but he is coming to do the whole thing in us and through us. And I had some just amazing, amazing, encouraging conversations this week with, with um, a couple women who are part of this church family. One woman talked to me about her experience in, in the Bible Haven, and she talked about how learning more about Scripture in the Bible is, is transferring over into her relationships, maybe areas where she had resentment or dealing with her family. What she's learning in the Bible Haven about reading the Bible, about curiosity, what the Lord wants to do, that's transferring over to her interactions with her family, and she's operating in a new way that she hasn't operated before. 
And then I had another conversation with another woman who was just talking about her own family and, and all the needs of her family and some new needs that she's experiencing in this season of her life that are unexpected that she did not ask for. And just the feeling of having to do it all and be it all and, and make it all happen and finally saying, I'm just going to surrender to what this situation really is. I'm just going to be okay with where we're at. And I'm going to admit where we are and lean on the Lord. And I'm going to lean on him to move us through the season that I didn't expect, but I know I need to be connected and whole as a person as well. And church, this is the real stuff. This is the real stuff of formation when what we're learning about Jesus applies to the rest of our lives and it's changing how we're thinking, how we're interacting, what's happening in our heart. This is what it means to take next steps towards Jesus. And it's not only these big, powerful, miracle moments, it's the walking out in the freedom that Jesus wants to do in you. And I know that there are people here who are in need of that same freedom, who are in need of that same next step. And I think the encouraging thing is that that's when all the ordering and reordering and chaos and craziness is happening, there is real work being done. And there's a real ability to take a next step and to do the next right thing and the next right thing. And Jesus is there waiting to walk you into whatever that next thing is for you at your place and your time and your circumstances on your journey. All right, we got to move because we got to unpack this second half of the story here. All right, let's go. Okay. So, so Jesus says um, in verse 49, so he has just healed the woman, right? In verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter, Jairus's daughter, is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. All were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Waiting. Um, so, so as Jesus has healed this woman, as he kind of had stopped and kind of had the, the plot twist, while that's happening in real time, some people from Jairus' home come and say, like, it's done. It's over. She's gone. Like, never mind. And Jairus is having to deal in that moment with the results of this whole situation that has unfolded that's been so unexpected for him. And so they get to the home, and everybody is mourning, believing that this, this girl is dead. And Jesus comes in, and he, he says he's still going to go in the room, and they kind of even laugh, just like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're crazy. Like, she's gone. It's over. Just accept it. And Jesus goes in. And he, he heals this, this girl. He raises her from the dead in a very soft and tender way. And everybody is amazed. And again, Jesus demonstrates this authority in a new way. We, um, so I have a daughter 
her name is Romy, and she's about three and a half, and she just wants to really be at the center of everything going on lately. Like, she wants to be in every conversation, every interaction. If my husband and I are having a conversation, she's, like, left out, and she wants to be in. So she, it's just a constant, like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And then we say, you got to say, excuse me. So it's, excuse me, excuse me. It, like, just is constant. So we're working on, like, holding that thought or waiting or, like, holding my hand until I'm done talking, and then it's her turn. But it's so interesting when we say, Romy, wait. She gets mad. She does not like to hear, wait. She wants to be in that conversation on her time frame and in the middle of what's going on, and you can't tell her otherwise. And she gets this mad face, and so we talk about what do you do when you feel frustrated. But it's interesting. Wait, Romy, feels, doesn't feel good. She feels, I think, maybe a little, like, left out. I think she feels a little unloved, maybe a little failed in that moment in her idea of what she needs in her world. But she is not getting what she needs, and she's not getting it in that moment, and she's not getting it on her time frame. And she does not like that. And when I think about this idea of waiting and what it means for to allow God to order and reorder things like our timing and our priorities and our idea of delay, I think the thing about waiting that's so difficult is that it can feel so unloving. And I think about Jairus, and, and when he heard that it was too late and his daughter was dead, just what that must have felt like for him. Betrayal. Failure. Disapp- the greatest disappointment of his life. Confusion. Like, what do you mean? We were, it was happening, and I, and I had it taken care of, and it was all going to go this way. And like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? It's over. Waiting can feel so unloving. There's such a loss that we can feel in the waiting. But what if waiting is the thing that pushes us beyond our own order and timing or agenda, and it gets us to Jesus? Because waiting is the only thing that brings out the kind of desperation that got this woman and that got Jairus to Jesus. He wouldn't have approached Jesus without the waiting. There would have been something else that would have remedied the situation. The woman wouldn't have gotten so desperate to leave her home and go out into the crowd and take a huge risk of doing that again. She would have, the des- there would not have been desperation to push her there. Without the waiting, there would not have been the desperation to push through all the stuff and to get to Jesus. And without Jesus, that woman would not have been fully healed. She may have been healed physically, but she would not have been freed fully and wholly. Without Jesus, Jairus would have never had the greatest uh, test of faith in his whole entire life and seen the other side. What if waiting is the thing that gets us to Jesus? What if waiting is the thing that pushes us through all the stuff we want to hold and control and keep and think we need and fight for? What if waiting is the thing that gets us to Jesus? I think the greatest, or there's going to be a greater one at the end, but the great order and reordering of this story is that waiting can actually be loving because in the waiting, it gets us more of Jesus. And in the end, that, that is what we need. Jesus is so loving. He is so good. He is so faithful. We see that even in the way he attended to this girl in the the very end of the story. There's there's a phrase in Aramaic, and and that's actually the phrase that Jesus used to address this girl. It's It's called Talitha Kuam, and it's translated, my daughter, my child, get up, rise. And it's that Jesus 
that loving, tender Jesus who, who went up into the bedroom of this girl, who sat on the side of her bed, just like a father, a dad, a caregiver would, didn't have to make any hype, didn't have to say any specific things, didn't have to make anything happen. He just looked to her out of love. He addressed her in this endearing way, like honey or my child or whatever you might call a child that you loved. And he said, get up. Just like, it's time to wake up. It's morning. It's time to go to school. It's time to get, just, just in this everyday, loving, beautiful, tender, nurturing way, child, get up. And he spoke to her in a language that she knew, and he called her by a name that she would understand. You see, it's that Jesus, that loving Jesus, who looks in the face, the face of death and doesn't have to do anything different than he always does. Doesn't have to make anything more happen than he always does. Doesn't have to bring anything new to the table than he always does. It's that Jesus that when he looks at death, it has no hold. When he looks at disappointment, it has no hold. When he, when he looks at failure, it has no hold. When he looks at doubt, it has no hold. Waiting has no hold. And I just want you to know this morning that just all the love and all the care that Jesus used to speak to this girl, he speaks to you. And he calls you by name. And he says it in a way that you're going to understand. And so if you are in a situation today and you are in the face of death or of doubt, or failure or fear or waiting, if you are at your end, if things are in chaos and you are in the biggest crisis of your life, your Jesus comes to you and sits beside your bed and says, my child, just get up. And you're not going to miss it. It's not going to get past you. It's not something that you can't get a hold of because he is going to call you by name and he is going to speak to you in a way that you understand. And he's going to do it for you and for you and for you and for you over and over and over again because he has already defeated death. And that has no hold on you. And that Jesus is your Jesus. And that power is your power. And that is meant to be lived out and experienced today because it is yours. You are his child. And there is nothing that can hold you down. And he is calling to you, rise. Be, be the person I know you to be. Be free and be whole. Get up, my child, and rise. And I just believe that there is somebody in the room today who just feels down, who just feels laid out, who just feels stuck. And Jesus is saying, get up. Not in like a get up, but like a come on. You got this. Get up. I'm with you, and I've got everything you need. And the thing that you think that is draining the life from you, it's actually the thing that is getting you closer to me, and we're going to do this together. Get up, get up. It's so good. I think there's one thing. So if we just think about, okay, so what do we do with all of this? All right, this is a lot. So we're talking about ordering and reordering. We're talking about waiting and delay and allowing Jesus into some areas that we didn't expect. So what do we do with that? And, and what does that mean for us? I think something that we have to just quickly touch on is this idea of fear. Because I think whenever we are in a desperate place of pushing through to Jesus in a new way, it's real and it's going to be real real. And it's going to be painful. And there's some fear involved. I think sometimes as, as Christians or churchgoers, we can, you know, have this phrase like faith over fear, you know, like that faith is just the absence of fear. And I don't know that that's actually true because what I see in the scriptures, I see a lot of fear. I see fear from Jairus and I see fear from the woman. It says that she approached him with fear and trembling. When Jairus heard about his daughter being dead, he, the first thing Jesus said to him, 
do not fear. And that phrase, do not fear, was the same kind of phrase that that was told to Zechariah by the angel at the very beginning of Luke, when Zechariah found out that his wife Elizabeth was was pregnant. And and it it was the do not fear. And it wasn't like, don't be afraid, or don't be stressed, or like, it was this sort of, don't let your inability to not understand this push you away from what I'm doing. The do not fear wasn't don't have any fear and be perfect and do everything right and just believe. It was just let me stretch the box of your experience with me and just, just let me in for a moment. Like, don't fear. Don't, don't let your box of what you've experienced me, Jesus, doing before change your perception of what I can do now. And I think as we think about what it means to be with Jesus in the waiting and to allow him to do the work he wants to do in us, we've got to lay down some of our logic and our understanding and our limited view of who Jesus is and what he can be so that he can do what he wants to do right now. And the truth is, we are talking about some crazy stuff. We're talking about little girls being raised from the dead. We're talking about healings and freedom and, and, and um, releasing from bondage. Like, as we've been going through Luke, these are all the things that Jesus is doing. And my question is, what do you all think about that? How is that going for you? Is that in the box of what you've experienced Jesus to be in your life? Is that out of your box? Is it weird? Is it stretching you? Is it uncomfortable? And I also want to say, that's okay. Jesus isn't asking us to come to him and like have it all together. He's asking us to make enough room in our own understanding and our own experience and our own history of what Jesus does in our lives, what he does in the church context, what he can do. And he's just asking us to stretch those boxes so that he can do what he is doing now. And that's what do not fear means. And so I wonder for us in this moment, if it's less about what we know and more about what we're going to trust him with. Because I believe the Lord wants to do something new in you and in this church, but it's going to require our desperation to move past what he's always done or what we know of him or what he's done before and to move in a space where he gets to do something new. And I believe that that's something that we want to experience together. And so I wonder, as we think about this for ourselves, I wonder if when you come to church on Sunday, or even when you just go to Jesus in your own personal time, do you come with any sense of expectation? And you might not. There may be zero, because that's what you're used to, or that, that's been your history. But I would encourage you, what does it look like to come with an expectation that Jesus wants to do something new? That amidst your circumstances, amidst your waiting, amidst your feeling of stuck, amidst your frustration with all the ordering and reordering that's happening in your life, come with the expectation that Jesus wants to do more for you than you even expect from him, just like that woman. I wonder if if there's a challenge for your own comfort level of who Jesus is or what he's capable of and what that could mean for your life and your place of desperation or your history of experiences? Do we need to challenge our comfort levels with Jesus, with him being Lord of our life, with him being at the center, with him having the authority? Do we need to challenge how comfortable we've gotten with that? And what does that mean if we've gotten just this really comfortable Jesus in our lives? I wonder if we need to consider our own line of desperation 
How far are we willing to go to, to ask him, to get to him, to touch him, to plead with him? How, what is our current line of desperation, and can we push that any further? Is Jesus asking more of us? Is he asking us to push through some things to get to him in a way that we haven't before? But out of that desperation, we get to Jesus. And I just believe that for all of us, that there is just an area that God is challenging in us, there's, there's a, an additional stretching um, that he wants to do with our spiritual boxes, with our history of how we've experienced Jesus or not. And I do believe it is, it is less about what we know. It is less about our head knowledge and more about how we'll trust him. Because what I see in this story is I see characters and players who went to something for Jesus and they got way more than they ever thought that they'd get in return. And it changed the trajectory of their whole entire life. And I think that's where we come to the greatest ordering and reordering is this idea of just Jesus and who he is. That the greatest ordering and reordering of the entire story, which turns out to be the gospel story, is that Jesus came to walk on this earth and as a man, he took on human form, full of all of its own ordering and reordering of expectations, all of its own chaos and crisis, all of its own waiting. And he came to do that for us. And he took all of the things that we deserve for what we've committed or thought or done or been a part of. He took all that stuff on himself and he went to the cross. And in exchange, he gave us freedom. He paid the price. He fulfilled the debt. There's nothing left wanting. There's nothing left incomplete. There's, there's nothing more left to be done or that could be done. He's already done it all. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reordered his whole entire power and status and everything and came to this earth to complete this mission of his, to die for us and then be resurrected again. So the Jesus that we read about in this Bible story is the same Jesus that we can experience today that the power and the healing and the freedom that we, it's not just stories. These are not just like things that make us feel good or um, oh, you know, that just makes us feel better today. No, this is for us to be experiencing now because the ordering and the reordering is continuing and the new kingdom is being ushered in and the new way is here. And anytime we see healing, anytime we see freedom, anytime we see transformation or taking next steps forward, that is evidence that the kingdom is on its way. That is evidence that there is a new way, that we don't have to stay in the suffering and the pain and the stuckness and the stuff that we can't get out of, that there is a greater story and that we are a part of the story. And the story is for us. We are the woman, we are the girl, we are Jairus, we are the players. And it's because of Jesus that he made an ability, that he made a way for us to have a better story. It's because of Jesus that we approach him asking for one thing and we get more than we ever have in return. And so we're gonna just uh, carve out a moment to take communion together, to reflect on the greatest order and reordering that centers our faith, to remember that no matter where we are in our story, no no matter where we are in our waiting, no matter where we are in our crisis or our chaos, how stretched, how uncomfortable we feel. That Jesus, Jesus is the, he's the greatest order and reordering of the whole story. And he's here and he's waiting for you. Um, I definitely need a communion. Thank you. All right. So I just would encourage you to, 
Just identify the area in yourself, an area of waiting or reordering, an area of maybe resisting in you, an area of pain or suffering. Maybe it's the way that you've experienced Jesus before that you are sensing that Jesus wants to even challenge and do something new. And just remember that it's because of the cross, it's because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus that, that we can experience new life and freedom. And so while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, and remember me. Father, we are so grateful for your love and for your remembrance of us as we remember what you have done for us. We recognize that you are on the move, that you are continuing to do a new thing, that you are inviting us into the new way. And so we come to you and we acknowledge the places that we've kept from you, the places that we've resisted you, the places that we've misunderstood, the places that we've allowed other kinds of logic or understanding to reign or define. And we pray, God, that you would come in in a fresh way. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment that you would just touch the hearts of your people, that you would whisper in their ears, that you would speak to them in a way that they would understand, that you would call them by name, that you would show them what it looks like to rise up, to get up, to walk, to live in freedom, to understand the great love and care that you have for them. I pray that anyone this morning who feels unloved would just see your loving face, face calling them forward in a new and fresh way. And Father, that you would have free reign in us and in this space, that you would continue to do something new. We invite you to break the mold, break the box, break the rules that we know, and to do something new. We invite you to order and reorder our stuff in our world, our church, our religion. Jesus, we ask that you would continue to do the thing that you came to do, that it would be in us and through us, and that we would just be image bearers of the story that you were writing and you are bringing. We love you so much, Jesus. It's all for you and because of you. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks for hanging with me this morning, you guys. We love you.